So last time we talked about, we're, we're continuing our series on the attributes of God. So last time we talked about the existence and the aseity of God. And uh, we, well, the existence isn't really an attribute of God, but I wanted to include it still because it's a lot of discussion. It's a debate going on in Christian churches, outside Christian churches, does God exist? And, uh, well, we could see that the Bible doesn't really ever debate or discuss the existence of God. It assumes the existence of God. The very first verse assumes that God exists in the beginning. God. There's no no space for debate or no, no, no place where it actually opens up. Is there a God or not? No, there is one. And it's the God that has always existed. And we, the text we looked upon, we looked at was was uh, Jairus and his his ill daughter. That <clears throat> and he came to Jesus and asked Jesus to heal her. She was terminally ill. She was very close to dying. And Jesus gave him a simple instruction: only believe. And that. In the face of what he was doing right there and then, he was, he was healing a, a, a woman with bleedings, a sick woman. But instead of turning to this, this miracle that he just performed and showing the evidence to Jairus, he said, only believe. We saw that this is the reason, or, or this, this is enough reason for us to believe in a God, in the existence of a God. It is to only believe because... God says so. And then we looked at the first attribute, which was, of course, the aseity, meaning the self-existence of God, self-existence of God, that God has existence in himself, that he doesn't derive that existence from anyone or anything. He's not depending on anyone or anything. He has existence in himself. He gives existence to everyone and to everything. He gives life to everyone. He gives eternal life to his people. And then the text we examined, we examined, oh, we, we read a few texts, but the, the one we examined a little bit closer was uh, John 5, where we had Jesus talking to the Jewish leaders. And that was as a response to something Jesus had done earlier. He had healed a man who, who, who was uh, crippled. For many, many years, he had healed him on the Sabbath. And this was a big no-no in, in, in Israel at the time. Because you could not work on the Sabbath. You could not heal on the Sabbath. You should not do this or that. They had many rules. But Jesus healed on the Sabbath. And he even made himself equal with God. God is working and I am working. He could work on the Sabbath because he is God. And uh, this was, of course, blasphemous to the Jewish leaders. They, they uh, considered this blasphemy, that he should be put to death. How can you make yourself equal with God? How can a man do that? But as we know, Jesus is not merely a man, but he is God, the God-man. And therefore, he has the power and the authority to work on the Sabbath, to heal. Yes, even to give life, and not just temporal life, not just physical life that we all have right here and right now, but eternal life, life that comes from God himself, the eternal life that never ceases. 
the verse that we, <clears throat> that we particularly consider was, just as the Father has life in himself, so the Son has life in himself. Meaning that God has eternal life and has eternal life in himself. He doesn't derive it from anyone. It is in God. So we don't have life in ourselves. We are very physical Temporal existence is depending on God. But we have great encouragement in the fact that God is self-existent and that he gives eternal life to all who believe in him. And now this time we'll, we'll uh, talk a little bit about the immutability of God. The immutability of God, which is the unchangeability of God. The fact that God does not change. He does not change in his nature, in his character, in his decrees, in his purposes, in his promises, in his word. He does not change. He is the same forever. And a little bit <clears throat> about explanation on, on nature. When, when, when we talk about the nature of God, we mean the, 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 uh, the essence of God, the, his being, his divinity. We know that Jesus is both man and God. He has two natures. He has a divine nature and he has a, a human nature. And then when we say character, we mean his attributes, his perfections, like immutability, aseity, love, and so on and so on. Now, the character and, and the, the, uh, the nature of God are not distinct. We, we, we cannot think that God, is, God has parts of his attributes as he's partly loving, partly just, partly uh, righteous, but he's fully loving, fully just, fully righteous and so forth. And those attributes does never change. He is all of his attributes and he is forever all of his attributes. God is never less God. It's not that he can put a bit of his divinity off himself and become less God and he cannot add more to himself to become more God. He is God and he is always exactly the same amount if you can use that expression the same amount of divine. He's never less powerful. He's never less love. He's never less righteous. The God of the Old Testament isn't more angry with sin than in the New Testament, even though some might say that. He is always the same. That is the immutability of God. It's the same in his nature, in his character, in his promises. And his purposes, and his purpose includes, of course, his, his eternal plan, decree, his word, his counsel. It's forever the same. That which he has determined before the foundation of the world will come to pass in our lives, in this cosmos, whatever he has foreordained will come to pass. His purposes are eternal. They do not change. 
And the same with promises of, as well, of course. His promises never change. He has promised to save all those who believe in him. That promise will not change. He is forever a saving God. He's not going to change his mind five minutes before the, the great white throne judgment and be like, no, no, I've changed my mind. You weren't holy enough. No, he, his promise will be the same now and forever. Heaven and earth will pass away, but God's words will never pass away. His promises are true and are the same regardless of who we are or what we become or what we do. Jesus promised to give eternal life to all who believe in him. He who has that life, that self-existence, is the same. It can never be made null or void. So, Let's, let's have a look uh, uh, on a few passages, a little bit of Bible support for, for the immutability of God, because it is a, a topic that not all Christians would necessarily agree with, people that call themselves Christians at least. So let, let's look at what the Bible says about this, that he's eternally the same. Let's, let's first turn to Psalm 102. Psalm 102, we'll read verse 25 through 27. And I'm going to read a few true passages of scriptures. We're going to jump from here to there and you could, you could be ready to turn quickly in your Bible. Psalm 102, verse 25 through 27 says this. Of old you founded the earth. And the heavens are the work of your hands. Even they will perish, but you endure. And all of them will wear out like a garment. Like clothing you will change them, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. Now God is here contrasted with the created order. That which change. We, the world, everything that is created, change. The heavens, the earth, that which he has created, that will perish. It will be worn out like a garment. We all know how garments wear out all the time. You have a couple of socks, or I do, and all of a sudden they have holes in them. Just like that. You just bought them and now they have holes. Garments wear out all the time. Clothing wear out so quickly. You just bought them. Now you have to buy something new. But God does not change. God is not like a clothing, like a garment that you need to replace. That you need to buy a new piece of cloth. No. He will endure. He is the same. His years will not come to an end. We have years. We measure things in years and and, and months and days and weeks and so forth. But God has no time element to him. There is no beginning when he was zero years old. And there is no end when he is billions and billions of years old. His years will not come to an end. Meaning there are no age to God. He is Forever the same. He's the eternal present I am. So let's turn to the next 
passage, Isaiah 41, verse 4. I'm just quickly go through that one. Isaiah 41. Which says, who has performed and accomplished it? Calling forth the generations from the beginning. I, the Lord, am the first and with the last. I am he. I am the first and with the last. I am he. As, we, as I just said, the Lord doesn't have an age to him. There was no beginning to God. There will be no end to God. Instead, he is the beginning and the end. The New Testament calls God the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last letter in the Greek alphabet. He's the beginning, he's the end, where everything else has a beginning. God is the eternal beginning, as if you could call, call it that. We talk about the eternity past, that God chose us in the eternity past, but of course there is no past to God. It is from our viewpoint, from our perspective, that we look upon it and, and call it the past. But to God, it is not, not past. He is the beginning. He is the end. The first and the last. And that's very important also when you consider his name, which if you, could, if you want to turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. No, yes, chapter 3, verse 14, where... where Moses meets God in the wilderness. Talked about it a couple of a couple of Sundays, a couple of sermons ago. We had the introduction to this series. How how Moses meets God for the first time. Now here he speaks in, in Exodus chapter three verse fourteen. God said to Moses, "I am who I am." And he said, "Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel." I am has sent you. This is the name of God. I am. Not I was. Not I will be. I am. He's an eternal present character. Always I am. He was I am when he met Moses. He he will be I am when he judges Everything he is, I am right now. We have, like I just said, we have past, we have future, we measure things in time, but to God, everything is present. I am. Jesus said to the Jewish leaders before Abraham was, I am. Meaning that Abraham had a past, Abraham had had long been dead by then, of course. He, he was. But Jesus is. I am. There's no change in his name, in his character. He always is. He always is. And then the next one, Numbers 23 book of Numbers, chapter 23, verse 19 through 20. I'm going to read those. And this is an important verse because I'm, we're, it, it, it talks about how God is distinct from man. Numbers 23, verse 19 through 20. God is not a man that he should lie, 
nor a son of man, that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Behold, I have received a command to bless, and when he has blessed, then I cannot revoke it. God is not a man that he should lie. What does that mean? That man lies, everybody lies, even the best man, even the most righteous and holy, even though we are all righteous and holy who believe in Christ, even the most mature Christian will lie. It's characteristic of man, of men, not just men as in males, but mankind to lie. All men lie. But God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent or that he should change his mind, that he should turn somewhere. No. God is not like us. He's always the same. His his words are always true. They are never changing. They are never less true and more true. No, they are always the same. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. And has he not said and he, sorry, has he said and he will not do it? Meaning his word is always true, is always the same. His word in the Old Testament are the same as his word in the New Testament. Even though we know, of course, that the New Testament gives more revelation, gives more revelation about God and about Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. But it is the same word. It is coming from the same God. It has the same plan and the same purposes because he will not change his word. What he has said he will do, his counsel will always be the same. And he always makes good. Uh, Has he spoken and will he not make it good? We know how we created the whole earth, the heavens, all creation by speaking in it to existence. He didn't need to use hands or tools. He spoke and it was good. It is still good, even though it's tainted by sin. Creation is still good. Now, one, let's, let's also turn to the New Testament and let's have a look at a few verses there. Romans 11 Verse 29, we'll see that God doesn't change his, his calling or his gifts that he has given. He does not repent giving his gifts to his people. Romans 11, verse 29, just a short verse. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Has he given you a calling? Has he given you a gift? It is irrevocable. Of course, here he talks about his people, his children, the nation of Israel. 
his calling to them is the same. It has not changed. The nation Israel has not been replaced by the church. They are still God's people. They are still called by God. His gifts to them are still the same. Because they are irrevocable. God's plan has not changed. It wasn't a, 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 a worse plan. A plan B. Oh no, Israel failed. Let's go to the church. No, his calling and his gifts are irrevocable. And finally, let's have a look at couple of passages. James 1, verse 17, one of the famous verses on the immutability of God. James 1, verse 17. We'll see how, it, how, how the Bible clearly says that God does not change. Where it says, every good thing given and every perfect give, gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. No variation, no shifting shadow. When we look at our light sources, like the sun, it can vary. We can have sunspots, we can have a cloud that comes in front of the sun, and then we have less light. The, the earth rotates around its, its axis, and when it, it rotates so much that it's, we no longer see the sun, it becomes dark. There is shifting in light, there's variation. We have shadows. When, when the sun goes down on the horizon, the shadows grow longer and longer. There are shifts, there are variations. But in God, there is no shifting, there's no variation you know that Revelation talks about that, that God will be the light source in the new Jerusalem, in the new heavens, in the new earth. There will be no need of a, of a sun or a moon or stars or lamps. God will be that light source. There's no variation, no shifting shadow. And finally, Malachi 3.6, where it very clearly says that God does not change. Malachi 3.6 One of the last verses in the Old Testament. One of the last things that God told his people before 400 years of silence. Malachi 3 verse 6. For I the Lord do not change. Therefore you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. For I the Lord do not change. This is a declaration from God. He's, he's declaring this to us. This is coming from his perspective. This is what he says about himself. I, the Lord, or Yahweh, as it actually says here, do not change. Therefore, you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. They are not consumed because God do not change. Not, it, the text is not saying that the sons of Jacob is protected, is, is kept by their own faith or by the fact that they have a temple, they have rebuilt the temple. We know they had been in, in captivity in, in Babylonia, in Assyria, 
And now they have returned home. They, have, they, they live in the promised land again. They have rebuilt the temple. They have reinstituted the temple sacrifices and so on. But that is not the reason that they are not consumed. The reason that the people of God, the sons of Jacob, are not consumed is the fact that the Lord do not change. His promises do not change. His word do not change. He is the same. So, what does the immutability of God mean? Well, it does not mean, if you start there, it does not mean that he is static or inert, that he is just a, a, a statue somewhere, a rock, a mountain. He's able to respond. He's able to, to act. He's not uncaring or unresponsive. He's very much alive. He's dynamic. He's conscious. That is not what the immutability of God means. Rather, it means or it points to his internal, uh, eternal, internal consistency that he will be the same forever. He never stops being God. God doesn't die. God doesn't move away and leave us. Starts over with another world somewhere. He always is God. Nothing is added to him. Nothing is subtracted from him. He is always the same. Now, of course, as I mentioned, some people would disagree. They would say that there is no or that there is change to God, that he is not immutable, but quite the opposite, that he is mutable, that he is changing, he is changing his mind, he is changing his plans, he is changing his purposes, depending on what happens here. And uh, most clearly we can, can see that in people who claim that, that uh, if a person turns from his sin, if he responds in love to God, then God will change his mind so not to destroy that person, but save that person. That is very common. That would be something that many Christians would claim. Yes, that is how God, God reacts to how we respond to him. He changes his, his uh, should we call it destiny for a person, depending on how that person responds And, of course, they say the other way around also that if you who have believed and turn away from God, turn back to sin, then you will lose your salvation. You had eternal life. You had a place in God's kingdom. But because of your unbelief, you have now lost that. He will revoke his blessings, his purpose. His plan for you. So in other words, God doesn't really seem to know how men will respond to him. He's not sure how many will come to faith, how many will reject him. He's, he's learning things. He's, he's looking down at creation. He's sitting there like, hmm, are they going to choose me? Are they not? And he chooses his destiny for each person depending on how they respond to him. Therefore, God is changing. Or so they claim. 
This is especially noted among open theists who would claim that God has no idea about the future. God is as much in time as we are, and he learns things. When he sent his son to the earth, he wasn't sure if if people were going to accept him or reject him. Well, that might sound foolish, and it is very much, but it's an important discussion to have, to be ready to answer such criticism or such opposition to the truth of God. So, these people, where do they get their ideas from? How do they come to the conclusion that God changes? Let's look at a a few texts, or actually just one, but we'll read a couple of texts. Let's go to Jonah chapter 3. Verse 10, you know, the prophet Jonah, who God called to go to Nineveh to uh, preach to them, to tell them that God will judge you. God has, has had enough of your sin, of your godlessness. Now he will bring down his judgment upon you. And the people of Nineveh, how do they respond? They turn from their sin. They, they turn to God. They repent. They repent. And this is where we come. Jonah chapter 3 verse 10. When God saw their deeds. That they turned from their wicked ways. Then God relented. Concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. God relented. Did God change his mind? Let's look at another passage, the one I I really want to go to. Exodus again. Book of Exodus, chapter 32. This is the last one, I promise. Promise. Exodus, chapter 32. We'll read verses um, 11 through 14. Exodus, chapter 32, verse 11 to 14. And this is the text. And... Uh, about Moses coming down from the mountain where he had received the, the, the Ten Commandments. And the people who have, who have been waiting on Moses, they, 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 they grow impatient and they, they make their own God, a golden calf. And they start worshipping that golden calf. And, well, that is, of course, idolatry. And God will now, he says, now I will destroy these people. They have turned from me. I will destroy them. But Moses responds, and this is where we come. Verse 11. Then Moses entreated the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your anger burn against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak, saying, with evil intent, he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to destroy them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and change your mind about doing harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by yourself, And said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens. And all this land of which I have spoken, I will give 
to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he had said he would do to his people. The Lord changed his mind or repented, I think it says in some some translation. Now this text does seem to indicate that the Lord or God changed his mind, that he can change. That when, when Moses went up to God, interceded before him, then the Lord changed his mind. Is it so? Did Lord our God change his mind? Now, of course, we could easily just respond by, by quoting one of the texts we read earlier, uh, Numbers twenty three nineteen. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent, or a First Samuel fifteen twenty nine, which says, also the glory of Israel, meaning God, will not lie or change his mind. For he is not a man that he should change his mind. So, is the Bible being contradictory? Is it saying something in Exodus and something else in in, in Numbers and First Samuel and so forth, is God actually changing his mind or is he not? Do we have a contradiction? Now the enemies of God would most certainly say, yes, here we have a, a prime example of contradiction in the Bible. The Bible is self-contradictory. You cannot reconcile these two passages. Is it so? Is God both changing and unchanging? Or does we, do we have to understand all of Scripture? All of what the Bible reveals about God? Yes, of course, we have to see the text as a whole. We must understand that God is giving one testimony about himself, one revelation that is then revealed to us in many different ways. So to understand this text and to understand God, to understand difficult topics, subjects, we sometimes use uh, different kind of language. We can use something that's called phenomenological language. Or phenomenological description, meaning how something appears to the one who observes it. One of the most common examples is, is sunrises and sunsets. We, we talk about the sunrise, that the sun is rising and the sun is setting. But is the sun actually rising? Is the sun actually setting? No, of course not. It is the earth which is rotating it is the earth which is moving in relation to the sun, not the sun moving in relation to earth. But for us, it appears that the sun is moving, that the sun is rising, that the sun is setting. That's very common language. The Bible uses 
sunrises and sunsets in its, in its texts, texts. Common people use that. This is phenomenological language, how it appears to the observer. And it's, it's not the only case the Bible uses. It, it uses this kind of language in, uh, to, to describe God in other ways as well. It talks about him having, having feet, having hands. We read that in, in Psalm uh, 102. His hands have formed the earth. Does that mean that God has physical hands like we do? No, it just, it's a picture for God creating all that exists. It says that God has eyes, that he can see everything. Does it mean that he has physical eyes like we do? When we observe things, we, we look at it. No, God does not have physical eyes like a, like a camera. He has, a, has an eye in every room. He's, he's recording everything. No, he's everywhere present. The Bible says that he has, that he's coming and he's going does it mean that God is not everywhere present, omnipresent, because he's coming and going? No, it's talking about how he approaches us, how he will turn from him, turn to us. We cannot go up to God. We cannot go up to the throne room of God and, and plead before him, but he must come down to us. He must be present with us, us small creatures. So, this is just one of those examples that God changes his mind. It's one of those examples. Because it appears so to us. It appears that God here in, in Exodus 32 is changing his mind. Yet the Bible very clearly says that God is not a man, that he should lie. So, is God changing his mind in this text? Is Moses informing God on his flawed logic? Is he telling him, Lord, Lord, you, you have brought this nation, this, this people out into the wilderness. It was your idea. It was your plan. Are you now going to destroy them? Did you not give a promise to, to uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Are you going to make that promise null and void? Is Moses informing God? Is he, is he coming and, and telling him how flawed his plan is? How much, he's, how big of a mistake he's doing? Or is there something else in this text that we should learn? Yes, of course, there's something else. This is not Moses changing God's mind. And that's, that's what you if, you, if you base your theology of God based on narrative passages like this one, you might come to that conclusion. But if you instead interpret all these narrative passages of God, like the one in Jonah as well and here in Exodus, if we interpret them based on the didactic teaching passages of God, the one in Malachi where he says that I, the Lord, do not change. Then we'll have a proper theology. 
this passage in Exodus and the one in Jonah is showing us that God indeed will judge and punish godless people, wicked people. He will punish sin. Yet those who do repent, those who do humble themselves, who come to God, who turn from their wicked ways, will not be judged, will not be punished. They will be saved. So to us, it appears that God is is threatening us with, with judgment and punishment, but when we turn, God relents. God changes from punishing to saving. It appears to us that God has changed even though he is the same. He will still punish wickedness and he will still save those who trust him. It is we who have changed. It is we who have repented. It is not God who repents. God has nothing to repent of. God is holy, sinless. It is always we who change. It is always man and only sinful man that repents, that changes, that turns. God changes not. He hears our prayers, but he does not change. He's not changed by them, but we are changed by them. We are changed by our prayers. The people around us are changed by our prayers. God is not changed. That is fundamental to understand biblical prayer. It is we who change from worse to better, from sin to life. And that we could, I could go on a little bit, but I think this is a good place to, to stop, to, to uh, reflect how God is never changing, but we are. How God uses prayer not to change himself, but to change us. How God uses people who intercede for others to make things better. So we can be that Moses and be all of those who pray for others, pray for their salvation. Pray for their lives. We prayed for for peace in, in Ukraine. We prayed for Putin. Let's continue to do that. Let's pray for Putin. Let's pray for the for the, the, the evil men of this world that God would change them. Because it is man who needs to be changed. God will bring down judgment on Putin, on Russia, on Ukraine, on every godless nation and leader of this world. But we can and we still have a chance and ability, a possibility to pray for them. Let's continue to do that. God is not going to change his plans, his purposes. Five minutes before the judgment, 
He's not going to become less loving, less good, less gracious, less saving. No, he's still going to be the same savior of the world. He's still going to save all those undeserving, wicked sinners like us. At five minutes before the judgment, at the judgment. And he will still punish sin at the judgment. So let's pray as a people of God, as those who can intercede before God, as Moses did. Let's pray to God that he would change people. Let's find great encouragement and comfort in that. And let's end with that and a word of prayer. Our Lord and our Heavenly Father, we come before you this Sunday knowing fully well that you do not change. You have said, and it will be so, you have purposed something, you have decreed something, you have decided, determined, and it will be so, Lord. Oh Lord, we know that it is we who need to change. It is we who are the sinners. It is we who are the wicked people, the godless people. Oh Lord, help us. Help our families. Help our close and loved ones to change, to turn, to repent, Lord. Oh please, Lord, we ask for more repentance, for more change in this world. Change from death to life, from sin to holiness. Oh, Lord, please, please, please change the the men of this world. Change those who are in power, who who you have put in power, who you have put in places where they can take great responsibility and make a great difference. Oh, please, Lord, change them. Change them, Lord. Turn from your, from your anger, from your judgment to save them, Lord. Please, we ask. We ask for this. We ask that your name would be glorified on this day. In Jesus' name, amen.